Kaiser Bacos. Welcome to the Focus and Crew. It is a podcast where we take <laughs> where we take a film, a wee bit of entertainment to pass the time and go down the rabbit hole of the full cast and crew section of its IMDB page, where we mine it for quirky trivia, unlikely connections, behind the scenes dirt, and strange coincidences to bring you a podcast to beat all the other podcasts. After all, there can be only one. And there you have it, folks. Christopher Lambert's many accents brought to life. Brilliant. We actually brought Christopher Lambert in to do this. <laughs> we should have brought Christopher Lambert in just to say, do you ever stop to ask yourself, how the hell did I ever become a movie star? Did that ever occur to you, Chris? Did you, well, did you read it? Well, of course, I've never seen him perform in French. He could be great. I was wondering that. I was, I was wondering, like, I didn't actually look yet at his IMDb page. Uh-huh. I wondered if he was brilliant in some Jean-Pierre Melville noir crime new wave French film where speaking in French, he was good. Uh, and it's possible. And look, he still keeps working and actually looking on his IMDb. Pit, rather, the, um, he's probably Wikipedia much better now. Look, he still does a lot of stuff that looks of a, a similar, similar quality to this. <laughs> he's got a lane that he seems perfectly happy to stay in. First of all, <clears throat> let's inform the listeners who we are and what we're doing here, Chris. <laughs> okay. I'm and Jason. Ourselves. I'm the guy who talks too much. I'm Chris. I'm the guy who cuts down his talking too much to this a more is, manageable. This is full cast and crew. And today we're talking about the 1986 fantasy action adventure sci-fi. Is it sci-fi? It's sci-fi. Oh, I mean. It's everything. It's everything. It's like a blender. Throw it all in. <laughs> see what happens. Who gives a shit? 1986 fantasy action adventure film. Romance, historical. Romance, historical, bodice ripper, Highlander. <laughs> Uh, which is a beloved film and which I have not seen probably in 25 or 30 years. And Chris, finally, after watching so many films, as you say, in your ever Chris polite manner, many films of this ilk, okay? <laughs> this makes me appreciate that brief window in our youth when we could watch something like this and not be burdened with expectations of good and bad and you could just enjoy it for what it was on its yes. own terms and you had no idea at that age that it's just so bad i mean what is going on in highlander chris so you had seen it i had seen it probably 86 87 88 i haven't seen it since then and you saw it in the movie theater i or? have no idea the only reason i, I was probably part of the really why stoned that much in guarantee whether it was in a movie theater at home on a flight I think they had movies on planes in 87 let's say they brought the projector in and set up a screen that'd be seen well i mean didn't they have an airplane in the movie joke an airplane of the audience watching an airplane crash <laughs> they movie did, while yes. in the plane well, what were they watching it on i forget did a, a screen, screen up, in the, yeah. up in the front so actually almost like a movie theater yeah i guess there was seat. a time not so long ago when they just pulled down one screen yeah oh yeah and we didn't all have our own screens in front of our us. own personal no no no. that's back when you know communitarian meant something when we had a cohesive society i was the reason why i ask is my impression of highlander was always about <laughs> as far as i knew it had never been in the movie theater i grew up not having cable right and friends who had cable would always like mention watch it be on all the time sure and loved it and by the time I ended up actually No, wait, when you say it, loved it, loved it on its own terms or loved it ironically? No, I think they loved it on its own terms as kids. When I did watch it, I think I was a little bit too late to enjoy it on its own terms, right. but a little too young to appreciate it full ironically. So I was watching, and I was like, yeah, it's okay, I guess. <laughs> and then I hadn't seen it since. So I was really looking forward to, because it is so fondly remembered and has mm -hmm. launched the largest by sheer number of 
stuff yes. uh, franchise <laughs> in history. Greg Wyden is a screenwriter who's the creator of all this Highlander stuff. He's probably sitting on a giant castle made of bricks of cash. Well, you know, I mean, this is not his only success, of course. Backdraft. Backdraft. The Prophecy, another one which surprisingly, for some weird reason, has like five sequels. He has a photo on his uh, Wikipedia page. He looks like a really nice guy. He looks very unassuming. Yeah. He looks bemused. He looks like <laughs> if there was a, if there was like a picture version of what I'm doing right now, that's kind of what he <laughs> yeah, looks right. like. Hands up to shoulders. He's like, that, what do you want me to do? At me? What? what? Me? Yeah. Well, what was the idea? Like, give me the pitch in a nutshell. So 1986 is Highlander. <laughs> he wrote it when he was a student at UCLA. This okay. was a class project. And as he put it, I got an A minus and a house. You don't mean class like in good. You like mean classy. like, you know, like <laughs> no, no, no. This is real. This is top shelf. <laughs> No, it was a it was a it was a project for a, for a film class in UCLA. He had gone to um, Scotland, and at one point, standing in front of a suit of armor, was like, like I wonder, like like what that guy's life was like, or something like that, or like, just sort of thinking about like the past <laughs> and, this and is time, what and like, with. or what if that guy is still around? And and this is how it began, and it's, that's it. Well, the movie didn't do well when it came out no. in America. It was a bomb. It right. did well in the UK. All of Europe. Christopher Lambert was a much bigger star. Yes. Uh, of course. Well, and uh, they had better posters. They had much better posters. I loved the story that Russell McKay tells about the first American poster, which he describes as making Christopher Lambert look like he had acne. It's yeah. a black and white moody poster. It tells you nothing about what you're going into at all. It looks like some sort of serial killer movie. It looks kind of hunk rock and kind of It looks of very cool, punk rock and cool. But it's not. It has nothing to do with what we're about to see. Although it's very hard to describe what it is that you're about to see when you go into it. I don't know whether to just presume that everyone has seen this film or not, but basically you have immortals and the only way they can be killed is if their heads are cut off. Yet, curiously, Chris, knowing that they're immortal and can't be killed, they still engage in sword fights, which seems like a really cumbersome way to solve disputes amongst each other. Or is the reason for the sword fighting only just because that's the only way they can... Yeah, I mean, chopping like is a sword the only way? Like, wouldn't it I be more effective to have a chainsaw or, or an axe? An axe, sure, or I a guess. Scimitar, but you know the kind of, what, which machete? Well, a scimitar is a kind of sword, and actually, one of the guys did have a scimitar. Did he? Yeah, even on a pole. Uh, What's no, that thing on the pole? A, uh, like like a blade? Pipe. Yeah, yeah, curved blade. No, a scimitar is more like a sword itself. You know the thing I'm talking about? I know like exactly. If you were a palace like guard, a halberd or yeah, there's all sorts pike, all sorts of crap. You know, don't you have like shelves in your house with little like statuettes that hold mm -hmm. all types of armaments and stuff? Yeah, when you yeah. get together with your but D and D friends, you bring them out. Friends, well, you know, well, you got a problem with D and D? I got a problem with that. I just don't have any D and D friends. Well, why don't we get a game going, man? Love uh, to I'm dungeon busy. master. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd be a great dungeon master. I think it'd be very just, fun. Well, I don't think, and it's not a question of would, it's a question of is. Oh, so you've got a game going already? I don't have a game so going, but I, I, see, would, so I would like to get is, one going. It's a state you, of mind. I'll tell you, Russell Mulcahy directed the hell out of some of the most important music videos of all time. And some important TV shows. He directed the pilot for Queer as Folk in 2000, which was important. When I watched it now, I didn't love it. I kind of thought I would have aged enough to either appreciate it more, or not, yeah. but I still was just sort of like, you know, it's fine. There are things about it that I did like, like the swords, the fact that nobody has swords that are like appropriate for where they're from. Like the <laughs> Scottish Highlander has a katana sure. from Japan. And yeah. uh, the Polish chartered accountant who attacks him in the beginning of the movie <laughs> has like a Spanish rapier. McLeod. Fazil.
Wait. like to posit that the ethnic politics of this film are so far ahead of its time. I mean, everyone has a name that has nothing to do with the ethnicity that they appear to be. The guy you're mentioning in the the Madison Square Garden parking lot, which, yeah. by the way, isn't a thing. There isn't a parking lot underneath the Madison Square Garden. There's well, no parking garage. You know, it's Maybe in 86 they had one. I don't know. <laughs> But that guy's name was like. They said he was a Polish national. I know that that's well, stuck. A guy to me. mentions that, but actually the character's name is Fasil. 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 And that was Peter Diamond, uh-huh. who was this guy. Oh yeah. <laughs> what is the name of that guy? Uh, that's a. It's not a Jawa. That's, that, a, that's a Star Wars it's like guy. A, a sand. A sand person. Sand, sand person. Sand people. Yeah, I think they do call him sand yeah. people. He's just Star Wars, A New Hope, stunts, but he's one of those people wearing the face mask and carrying a rifle. It doesn't surprise me that he was a stunt guy, considering that yeah. during that thing, all he did was, again, he's dressed in a in a very conservative three-piece suit. Like yes. That made him look like, you know, not a particularly successful office drone. Uh, but then he's doing backflips yeah. and cartwheels and stuff. And I have to admit... I thought that was kind of cool. It was a good opening scene. It was a great opening Listen, it starts with a great wrestling. You're so all, you're like, what the hell is going on? There's like professional wrestling in Madison Square Garden. And then you have a pretty impressive shot for its time because we're pre-drone. So I'm not sure how they did the massive push in across the entirety of Madison Square Garden to a dejected, sullen Connor McLeod played by the dejected, sullen (laughs) Christopher Lambert. I think it's Lambert. I've always heard Lambert. Lambert. I mean, you know, you have to understand, he was also born in Long Island. He was born in Long yeah. Island to <laughs> French parents or something? And then moved, I think, at, he moved at two and moved to, to France. Yeah. He's clearly a Nick fan, because that's how Nick fans sit in the garden, <laughs> right? That dejected and sad and glum amidst <laughs> a bunch of hoopla that has nothing to do with them. Just to play one of the most, there, there are so many crazy scenes that we could play. His interrogation scene with not Michael Rappaport, but that guy sounded so much like he looked Ooh, like the, Don Knotts. The old but sounded, cop? No, no, no. The like younger cop. Oh, the younger guy. Who kept like? Well, that's what's his name. That's a that guy. Well, Mr. Nash, where were you going in such a hurry? Give me it! Give me it! Give me it! That is a good yeah. Right. He does look a little bit like, but he's a that guy. I'm gonna look him up for you while you yeah. listen to this police interrogation scene. You ever get over to New Jersey, Nash? Not if I can help it. You talk funny, Nash. Where are you from? Lots of different places. You're an antique dealer, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. What's that? A sword? Wise up, smartass. It's a Toledo Salamanca broadsword worth about a million bucks. So? So you want to hear a theory? Mm-hmm. He went down that garage to buy this sword from that guy. What's his name? I don't know. You tell me. Okay, his name is Amon Fazil. You fought about the price and cut off his head. 
Want to hear another theory? This Fazil was so upset about lousy wrestling tonight. He went down to the garage and in a fit of depression cut off his own head. That's not funny, Walt. You a faggot, Nash? Why, Garfield? You cruising for a piece of ass? I'll tell you what happened, Russell. You went down to the garage for a blowjob. You just didn't want to pay for it. Huh. You are sick. And we have the great John Polito in that scene. Pre-mustache. I don't think I've ever seen John Polito sans mustache. Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing is, so that scene ends with him getting to a fight with a cop. Yes. And two seconds after this, they're like, uh, am I under arrest? He's like, no, nah, I guess we got to let you go. And I was like, he did just punch a cop. Like, you can arrest him for that. <laughs> Mid-80s New York City. He has to do a lot worse. Anyway, the great John Polito, of course, from Miller's Crossing and every other movie that the Coen brothers have made, pretty uh-huh. much. And anything on film and TV going back to 1981. Yeah. He's great. He's great. He's like he's also like a living He's actually cartoon. the best actor in this entire movie. I don't know. Period. I, Full stop. Mm-hmm. Who? Who? Who's good in this? I'll uh, I'll save it. But I got real strong opinions about one of the performances here. Certainly, what am I saving for? Certainly can't be anybody who is a primary character. Okay. It's certainly not Clancy Brown. Oh, not good. Geez. Chris, uh, come on. Amazing. Oh, no, that not. is such commitment. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It, the things that I like, I did enjoy parts of the movie. Well, I mean, it's very Some of the ridiculousness and some of the like. Yeah. But uh, I wish there was a little more plot. Because at one point, <laughs> I did think like, wait, what are we doing? Why is he doing this? Why? Okay, wait. Up? Just to recap the plot. Immortals live amongst us. Yes. From the dawn of time we came, moving silently down through the centuries, living many secret lives, struggling to reach the time of the gathering, when the few who remain will battle to the last. No one has ever known we were among you. Until now. There are a few of them around the world. Some of them are friendly with each other, but many are at war and seeking to become the one. And eventually they're all going to be at war. There's going to be a big fight. When there's the quickening. Right. Once they. Is that the quickening? There is a quickening in this, even though the second one was supposedly. I'm actually more fascinated to see Highlander, too, just from the superlatives of what garbage that is supposed to be. Well, actually, I think it's probably better. Oh. (laughs) Well, because it seems like. What's going to make Highlander 2? Of Highlander 2? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Out of the premiere, because he was so angry. With well, Highlander. I did read that when they made Highlander 2, it was like they had, a, they had a contract to shoot it like in Brazil or something. Argentina. Or Argentina. And then that fell apart. And it just seemed like a tortured production. But I yeah. frankly stopped reading because the tennis was on and I had to watch this. Yes, of course. This, extra, this Execrable, the, whatever the word is. The tennis or the movie? No, the movie. <laughs> uh, I had to finish the movie last night. Usually I'm so bummed if there aren't like multiple making of documentaries and people <laughs> talking about it. I was like, sweet. Did quick cursory Google search? Nope. nope. No extras. <laughs> no iTunes extras. Uh, no making of featurettes, even no DVD or- commentary. I found uh, like an oral history too, but, but even those were I read short. that. It's like three paragraphs. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's put it this way. Russell Mulcahy had been the music video director in the, yeah. in the dawning of MTV, and he directed the first video ever played on MTV, which you're going to have to play a little of this for us. I heard you on the wireless back in 52, lying awake and tuning in on you. If I was young, it didn't stop you coming through.
is so much more watchable than Highlander. Well, it's shorter. pretty awesome it's a great video and you know in it you see a lot of the things that mulcahy was famous for which is using very low production values to create effects that played very well on your television in 1981 so he's got basically a garbage bag shimmering (laughs) under a spotlight and it looks like a river and you know that type of thing and bob's your uncle that's the very first video ever played on mtv and this is basically them holding up the severed head of radio uh wikipedia says that mulcahy's work is recognizable by the use of fats not fats Fast domino, often fast cuts, yes. tracking shots, and the use of glowing lights, <laughs> neo noir lighting. My favorite, wind-blown drapery and fans. All you John Woo fans, he didn't come up with that That's himself. That's true. He ripped it off from Russell Mulcahy. Well, let's say uh, ideas, they flow freely. Information must be free. If he's known for neo-noir lighting, wind-blown drapery and fans, how did he not direct St. Elmo's Fire? This, is a, this was a pairing of director and material that should have happened. <laughs> Russell Mulcahy may be a great video director, maybe may have made other films that are competently assembled and put together. Well, the only other film that I've seen of his was uh, the 1994's The Shadow with Alec Baldwin. Oh, God, he directed that? Yeah. God, remember, that was supposed to be so big and good. Oh, I know. I mean, I was a huge Shadow fan. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? <laughs> The shadow knows. What evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. That was not good. Well, like this, it had some. Get me someone who's facile with shadows, said the studio executive. Mulcahy's good with shadows. Bring him in. Like this, I thought it had some great visual moments that then had a lot of time between them. I I could go along with the story. I could go along with the mashup of the Scottish Highlands with 1986 New York, which is like a cool thing to mash up and put together. I love the concept of the immortals and they're among us and they have their own thing. And he's an antiques dealer. He lives in an amazing apartment in New York City. Which? If you're immortal, you have time to amass that kind of wealth. You amass that kind of wealth and fortune. However, everything stops there pretty much. But what's the, there's a term for like the essential bottomless black hole at the center of something which dooms the thing itself. Okay. And in this film, it is the choice. And it's a choice that Russell Mulcahy made, which I've not heard him defend other than that he did it, (laughs) which is he cast Christopher Lambert. And he said he'd seen him in something and he was like, Greystoke. Was it Greystoke? Yeah. And he was like, he had it in the eyes. But the guy couldn't speak English. Yeah. Let alone do Scottish, do New York, or do Do anything other than his bizarre amalgam of a French accent. And yet, it's hard to completely dismiss Christopher Lambert because, (laughs) yes, the four square inches around his eyes are the only part of him that make him a compelling screen presence. Like, when he's not speaking, he's kind of compelling to look at. He's not traditionally handsome. He does have a certain... I guess that's why he worked for Greystoke, Legend of Tarzan. He has a certain animalistic quality to him mm-hmm. without being feral, yet he feels wounded and human. 
I, I haven't seen Greystoke. It looks like more of an oh. interesting, well-told story than yeah. this. I mean, I haven't seen it for, for years, but I do remember it. It was pretty impressive. For me, when I first saw it, it was such an odd thing. You you conceive of Tarzan as the story yeah. in the comic strips, and this is more of an origin story, focusing on the fact that he had been a, spoiler, English lord lost in the jungle, and him dealing with society when he gets brought back. It was fascinating, and I never thought of that kind of revisionism, so it was just cool in that sense. I love that Greystoke is a film... <laughs> That has three titles in its one title. Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. Oh. <laughs> like, save those guys. You can just call it Greystoke. That's a great title. You have to understand, this is before the trilogy craze <laughs> like, that is going on now. Like, they had three good titles. They're like, let's use them all now. Greystoke, semicolon, The Legend of Tarzan, comma, Lord of the Apes. <laughs> There's just a lot going on there, Hugh Hudson, director of, what's the one where they're running on the beach in the Chariots of Fire? Chariots of Fire, yes. Boy, that, that's a movie that comes up a lot. Matt, can you please play some of the iconic Vangelis score? know if this is part of the original Edgar Rice Burroughs story, but the the way they explain Christopher Lambeau's French accent in Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes, is that Ian Holmes' character finds him and teaches him to speak English and is a Frenchman who has an accent. And that's why, I guess, the Tarzan character speaks like Christopher Lambert. Which so, is a brilliant excuse. Yeah, but I can't... It would be brilliant if that was actually in the novel, but I can't yeah. imagine it is. It must be a brilliant solution. Guys are tearing their hair out in a studio, in a, like a writer's room in Hollywood. How are we going to solve this fucking problem? Then why cast Ian Holm? There's got to be another <laughs> actual Frenchman. <laughs> Instead, you have Ian Holm really desperately trying to do a French accent and explain things to Christopher Lambert, who's very convincing in the Tarzan because, again, he doesn't have to speak much yeah. at the beginning three quarters of the movie. And he doesn't have to be perfectly in command of what he's saying. Oh, whereas what a in this. bizarre star. I'm not going to call him a star. I guess he's not a star. He did have a. He was only 28. I thought this was. In Tarzan or in this? In this. 28? Wow. He was 28 when he got a Highlander. I thought he was going to have like maybe one or two French films. But no, he has quite a few credits before Greystoke in France, including one, it's not Jean-Pierre Melville, but there is definitely like a crime noir thing called something like The Telephone Doesn't Work. Hmm. Sounds crimey. <laughs> the Telephone Bar. Close. In 1980. Russell Mulcahy said of the bizarre accents that are going on in this film, because again, yet again, Sean Connery, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, Sean Connery's armor is being dented for me in doing this podcast over and over again, because you, you realize that as a film fan, in our minds, we hold a few iconic, great performances, and we forget a world of work yes. that was really just dollar signs. That And this is a great example. Like, there is no reason for Sean Connery to be in this movie. I could think of a million reasons, <laughs> which he got. Which he got. Did for he get a million dollars? Work. He got a million dollars for one week's work. That's the only reason why he's in it. Yeah. Because well, though, he it does not resemble the character as written. I am Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez, chief metallurgist to King Charles V of Spain. And I'm at your service. Who? He and Christopher Lambert got to be very good friends for a while, at least. Sure. Which is why Sean Connery ended up being... Uh, 
spoiler for 1986's Highlander, Sean Connery's character dies. Yes. But he does return in Highlander 2, The Quickening. And the only reason he returned is because they were such good friends. And Christopher Lambert won. He's like, listen, I, I'm contractually obligated to do this movie. Would you mind? I'm like, come on. It'll be fun. Was it a uh, flashback scene in 2? I don't know. We haven't I haven't seen it. seen it. But, you know, I realized when looking at his IMDb, I've seen three things with Christopher Lambert over, you know, his very long career, which includes a lot of Césars or whatever the uh, mm-hmm. French Academy Awards are. But I can't attest to the quality of any. Those. All I've seen is Greystoke, this, and Hail Caesar. I guess he has a line in that. Here's uh, so a little of Sean Connery as Ramirez explaining to Connor McLeod that he is an immortal. He has no idea why he came back to life after being stabbed through the heart by Clancy Brown in a fearful metal wolf costume. Skull armor. Skull I mean, armor. When, <laughs> when you're immortal, you have time to get stuff like this. I sent you a picture last night of I was howling with laughter. Sean Connery's appearance in this film, it's almost like the more money you're going to pay him, the more he's willing to wear the most ridiculous things. He's wearing a pearl drop earring. He's wearing a Spanish conquistador costume. He's wearing a giant feathered hat. He's wearing some sort of boa. He has this this sort of cape with peacock feathers. Yes. There's so much Outlander stuff in this in this gem of Highlander. Film. He said Outlander. Isn't that another series? Outlandish. What's Outlander? Famous Scotsman Sean Connery was not the Highlander in Highlander, but he was in a movie called Outland. Yeah, Outland. Which is about a space cop, which should not be confused with, with Outlander, oh. which is another thing which, like this, goes back and forth between like ancient Oh, Outlander Scotland. is what like all the wives watch now. It's like a Where it's like we're in love romance. throughout the generations. Yeah, that kind of And that's why you're a bad husband. Uh Maybe. I, okay. I, I, anyway, here's Sean Connery explaining to Connor McCloud. You cannot die, laddie. Tell me, how did it happen, for God's sake? Why does the sun come up? Hmm? Or are the stars just pinholes in the curtain of night? Who knows? What I do know is that because you were born different, men will fear you, try to drive you away, like the people of your village. You must learn to conceal your special gift and harness your power until the time of the gathering. What gathering? When only a few of us are left, we will feel an irresistible pull towards a faraway land to fight for the prize. What is Sean Connery doing? (laughs) It's incredible. He's laughing all the way to the back yeah. is what he's doing. Drunk on his homemade, homemade scotch. Homemade scotch, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, when Sean Connery's Ramirez, who, P.S., is like the, what is it, the weaponer for King Juan Carlos Correct. of Spain. yes. Though he does it, then later say like, but well, I'm he's actually, Egyptian. But he's I'm Egyptian. <laughs> all these clues that point anywhere but could have tried any other. Well, K.E. explained it away going, these guys have been around for centuries. They could have picked up accidents from wherever. Like, well, so that, but that outfit that he comes in with this, this uh, wine colored cape and, and these peacock feathers. Russell Mulcahy donated that to the British Film Museum in London. Wow. Which I remember thinking. I'm what sure do they, they do with it? Throw it away? They were like, I'm sorry, sir. What is this? Are you cleaning out your garage? No, I thought you'd want this. this is from a movie. 
It's not quite as recognizable as Darth Vader's helmet. From that scene, I was so grateful because there's a training montage of the type that's been in every film ever made. And I was like, great, I'm on some familiar territory here, except (laughs) this is the end of the training montage. Now for the last. Trust me. Let yourself feel the stack. It's hot. Beating. There's blood. Corsi. Feel? Become the stag? Something like that. I mean, you heard that heartbeat sound effect. He's one with the stag? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's, look, it's not well explained until the end. And even then... By the way, Michael Kamen's score is also equally ludicrous and hilarious throughout this entire film. With music and incredible Scottish scenery substituting for substance here quite well, I might add. Full Cast and Crew is brought to you by Out of Jack's Mind, a new comedy short video series from Jack Plotnick, co-writer and director of the Sony Pictures feature film Space Station 76, and current recurring guest on Grace and Frankie and Z Nation. Out of Jack's Mind, like and follow at Chuckler Comedy on Facebook or Chuckler.com. Chuckler, original comedy, delivered daily. The voiceover by Sean Connery has an echo effect because it was recorded in the bathroom of his Spanish villa. And then it says in parentheses, where he had been working with a voice coach in order to perfect the Spanish accent he used in the movie. He doesn't use a Spanish accent. No, he doesn't. It was played for the producers over the phone, and they approved of it because they could not discern the quality of the recording. Over the phone, yeah, which is... uh, Sounds good to us, Sean. I mean, to Sean Connery's credit, he has the twinkle in his eye of a man being paid $1 million for seven days of work. Yes. He's not, like, phoning it in. I mean, except for when he phoned it in from the bathroom of the Spanish (laughs) villa. But, like, in his scenes, feel the stag, McLeod. I wouldn't say he's phoning it in, but on the other hand, it also doesn't look like he did a lot of preparation either. That scene that we played before, when he's trying to explain the— was clearing out space in his bank account. (laughs) It does look like he's trying to remember his lines as he's explaining— Oh, Sean, you come a long way from when you were shooting Zardoz and offered to split the car fee with the director. Well, did you read the anecdote about how Sean almost walked off the picture in the scene yes. where Clancy Brown enters the castle keep and smashes his broadsword down on the table where Sean is having some wine with, with of, the wife of McLeod. Of McLeod. Apparently, he was supposed to cleave the table with the edge of the sword, but instead he hit it on the flat side and a piece of the sword broke off and whizzed past Sean Connery's face. I think it might have even hit him. And that's the moneymaker. Yeah. Everything stopped. Sean actually contemplated walking off the picture because you can't risk the face. And then he agreed to continue on. And said, I think we'll be using my stunt double more. My favorite two pieces of trivia from the IMDb page are 
Christopher Lambert spent time with a dialogue coach developing an accent which sounded non-specifically foreign. <laughs> Actually, no. It sounds highly specifically foreign. It sounds suspiciously like his actual speaking voice. So I don't know what you got paid, dialogue coach, but you stole yeah. money. Also, I love that the filmmakers were shocked, shocked to find out after signing a contract for Christopher Lambert that he spoke absolutely no English. That is not doing your due diligence. Casting was a real different process back then. You know, just to go back to Gregory Wyden, he didn't love the movie. Oh, because really? Because he had, his original screenplay was a much darker and grittier portrayal mm. of the Highlander universe. You know there were very positive reviewers who were saying, the villain here is not the Kurgan, it is time. And it is all about the difficulty of being an immortal, which is why it ends up with the uh, ending that it does. Maybe he's making himself feel better by saying that. But I thought it was pretty interesting that he wanted that and he actually ended up hating Clancy Brown's performance because, as did Clancy Brown, as it got more sort of campy and strange. Oh, so Clancy Brown didn't like his own performance? He wanted it to be more a dark and brooding character who, because of being immortal, he had seen so many of his loved ones die. And Connor McCloud would become somebody who was still somewhat hopeful about the possibilities of immortality, whereas the Kurgan was a dark reflection of that and who had become nihilistic mm. by uh, by losing everything and now just wanted to destroy things. As he put it, the chopping off the heads of all the other immortals was his only reason to get up in the morning. I read that the, uh, the, the backstory of Kurgan is that his drunken father crushed Kurgan's head with a rock in 970 BC. And then upon returning to life, Kurgan proceeded to force his father to swallow a searing hot stone to kill him. Yeah, that's that's a bad seed. <laughs> also, Clancy Brown originally wanted the Kurgan to be dressed in a suit and bowler yes. hat. Going just for a different, uh, different. As, instead of uh, <laughs> yes. just acting crazy, he wanted to um, be a different kind of... All right, give me some alternative casting, Chris. There was quite a bit. So the, the one... I guess who was closest, he settled on Christopher Lambert after seeing uh, Greystoke. And that was after he, as uh, one of the one of the oral histories put it, after he failed to convince Kurt Russell to do it. <laughs> Sting was considered to play McLeod and also considered there were a lot of different bands that before sure. they ended up with Queen. Yeah. And that Who Wants to Live Forever song is pretty it's good. It's pretty good. I will say this is a better soundtrack than Flash Gordon for Queen. Think uh, I think the songs are better. I think that the songs have a reason to be in the movie in a certain way. And I think that the bombast of Queen fits this. Whereas there's enough bombast for everyone in Flash Gordon. Queen is just like syrupy, bright red frosting that we don't need on top right, of on the multicolored cake yes. that we're already eating. Whereas is, this, it's actually kind of like, I like the songs. And all the female characters in this film have so little to do. Yeah. They're essentially reduced to making guttural noises, screaming, crying, or passing out. Well, except for... Uh, his Scottish wife who lives to a ripe old age yes. and dies in his arms. And that's, I guess, the tragedy of being the immortal is that he got to live an entire life with his wife whom he loved and then she died. <laughs> Therefore, he's heartbroken and starts wearing two coats. <laughs> I love that he's wearing the trench coat, but then oh, when he gets terrible. to his awesome apartment, he takes it off and he's got a bomber jacket underneath. Well, the trench coat is to hide the sword. Well, I get that, but then why have the bomber jacket? <laughs> For It's like, I have two cool jackets. I don't know which one to yeah. wear. I'll just wear both. <laughs> So among the other people considered, it's literally every white male leading man around the yes. era, including Michael Douglas, Richard Gere, Patrick Swayze. This would all be Christopher Lambert's character? To be Christopher Lambert's character. These are yeah. all better choices. Liam Neeson, Gary Oldman, Viggo Mortensen, Val Kilmer, Bill Paxton, Michael Bean. Wait a minute. Viggo Mortensen in 1986? No way. He's an old dude. Christopher Reeve, Kevin Costner, Sting, 
who also was considered to do the soundtrack, Mark Singer was at some point the top choice. Now, Mark Singer, you might remember from V or from Beastmaster, but he turned it down due to scheduling conflicts. Mickey Rourke, Ed Harris, Sam Shepard, Michael Keaton, and Mel Gibson turned down the role of Connor McCloud and then acted and directed in Braveheart about Scottish people. With the same guy. The guy in McCloud's little group in the beginning. Oh, Angus, the cousin. He's the tough guy who's like, I don't know, he gets injured and they're like cauterizing his wound. And he just slugs back some scotch and then they like press a red hot sword and he's like, and he's being held back by his sons. It's great. Love that guy. James Cosmo. I don't know if everyone just passed because the script was terrible. They did say considered as opposed to, I think the only one, uh, Mark Singer. Well, sure. If you and I were making a movie, we'd consider everyone on a wish list. Yeah, that's what what (laughs) I think. So it's like 30 years later saying who you considered to be in the movie. A sort of funny thing that came up when they were talking about how Mel Gibson turned it down. Kurt Russell, I didn't know this, but I guess it makes sense because he also had a mullet, that he was considered for Martin Riggs in Lethal Weapon. Sure. Makes sense. Well, you know, Sean Connery was originally offered the role of McCloud, supposedly, but was more interested in playing Ramirez. For a million dollars. Exactly. (laughs) There's a new profile this week of Brad Pitt in New York Times. Uh And uh, it's actually pretty interesting in revealing conversation a la the Nick Cage Yes. Uh, One that we discussed when we did Moonstruck. And one of the things that James Gray says, the director James Gray says of Brad, is that he's always trying to whittle away his part. He's not one of those stars who's trying to, like, always insert himself into everything. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, he didn't got anything. It's called delegation, man. Uh, the last ca- casting for Connor McLeod. Yes. Which I want to preface this by saying that I am, I guarantee you this is a lie. But Hulk Hogan says he was offered the part of Connor McLeod, but he turned it down in order to focus on his wrestling career. Though it is, of course, funny because it does open on <laughs> a wrestling match. Apparently, the scene I was referring to that's pre-drone was invented by the eventual inventor of the Steadicam. Hmm. And it was using what we now kind of see a lot in football broadcasts, which is like a wire system that suspends the camera. And that's how they got the camera to glide across and go into moody Christopher Lambert. There are scenes in this that taken out of context work. I was into that opening scene. Starting out on the wrestling, the way the the wrestling was yeah, filmed, right. and the like, yeah. the crowd war. I wondered and where have, are we like, going grotesque, here? Exactly the grotesqueness of the crowd around this moody figure, and then you have, for some reason, which never does get explained. But at first, you're kind of like, I wonder what the reason is that he goes downstairs to the garage and starts fighting a guy in a suit with swords. But also, uh, the fight was terrible. The fighting is so poorly staged. Supposedly. At the parking garage scene, he should be at his the apex of he's his sword tired. fighting. Listen, he's he's had 400 years to hone it. I'm just saying, Christopher Lambert, it, the sword fighting in the parking garage is horrible. It's again, like, maybe I was uh, just taken with the mood uh, and the lighting and the sparks, which here's another funny invention. You were, they would hook car batteries up to again, the actors. I read that Russell Mulcahy said that, that. But I, you don't I, believe that? I ascribe that to the same... I don't believe that they had car batteries attached to their leg and that the sparks flew when they touched swords as a result. I mean, there's a couple scenes where that happens, but it yeah. doesn't really happen in the parking garage scene. But but you don't think that that's how they actually did it? Uh, I, I think it's a convenient after the fact parable. He meets another immortal that yes, he's friends with. Yes, in New and York. This whole thing is the part where they're talking about how they had met. The good old days. They cut out a scene where they meet Thomas Jefferson. This is sort of and a they're the like, only we don't need that, that stuff. The heavier blade, Mr. Bassett, I implore you. I am fighting this duel, Hotchkiss, not you. Safety <laughs> imbecile is ready. Mr. Bassett is waiting, sir. Tell him I'm ready. On guard, sir. Ah! 
Wonderful sir. Thank you. That's it. So he's now come back to life because, of course, he can't be killed. He runs him through a second time. Stop, sir. I beseech you. I apologize for calling your wife bloated warthog. <laughs> and I bet you good day. Shoot him, sir. What? Shoot him. Now, sir. Now, sir. In the back of the head. Now, sir. Hotchkiss. 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 No, sir. That was another one that was cut for the American audiences, the uh, getting shot. I loved it. I liked it. I was like, he's not going to shoot him, is he? He is going (laughs) to shoot him. I enjoyed that. I wish I had more of that anarchic humor. That guy does a good job. The guy who plays Mr. Uh, Bassett. Sure. It's funny. When we post this, there are going to be people who love Highlander. Yeah. Like, they're going to be, and they're going to be guys that were six to eight years old in 1986. Yes. There will be very few women for a film that purports to be this incredible romance. He has no chemistry whatsoever with any female character in the film. I thought like, oh, the police lady. So she's a data analysis technician for the New York City Police Department, but lives in a brilliant classic six apartment with stunning park views and an incredible contemporary art collection. I mean, you know, people had left. You could get these things for a song song back then. Her apartment is insane. Well, speaking of her, uh, actresses that were considered for that role. Yes. Brooke Adams. Now, again, I don't want you to think that it's Karen Allen or Margot (laughs) Kidder. Even though Karen Allen was, I guess, also considered, but I don't think got uh, quite as close. Margot didn't get a look? No actual mention of Margot Kidder. Rosanna Arquette, Jennifer Beals, Tanya Roberts, and Elizabeth Brooks. Who's Elizabeth Brooks? No, 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 no. A couple people considered for the Kurgan were Rutger Hauer and Nick Nolte. Poor Rutger, typecast for all eternity. Yeah. And Scott Glenn and Nick Roy Nolte. Scheider, of course. Nick Nolte. That would have been hilarious. Oh, God. Roy Scheider. <laughs> How about me? I'd love yeah. to do it. Roy a Scheider movie. ran into Russell Mulcahy. He was talking about the difficulty of casting the Kurgan part. And it's so bizarre that today there are still creative offspring of this yeah. movie that it's a franchise for all time. I mean, you could make this much better. It's a great concept. It's a great idea for a movie. What is it about the concept that is so great? Like just immortal people who got to kill each other? Is that it? No, it's the mashup. What this movie glancingly attempts to do is fun to watch as a moviegoer. It's fun to be in the Scottish Highlands and play against that backdrop. Again, pre kind of Braveheart, which really Mm -hmm. set the template for that and borrows from this movie, I would say. Besides just using James Cosmo. Aside from using (laughs) James Cosmo, but I mean, I don't know what other like warring Scottish clans of old movies there were prior to this, perhaps some, but there is a certain interesting thing about seeing a character exist in multiple times and dimensions that are so definable. That's what's really interesting to me is like that you can have a kernel of an idea poorly executed, yet it struck enough of a nerve where all these years later, we're still seeing versions of Highlander. I think you used the word mashup. The visual elements of it did work. Like there is something fun and weird about the different swords and like the fact that he is fighting in jeans and sneakers and a trench coat with a sword. 
against a guy dressed in punk rock. Mm-hmm. This just weirdness of throwing all of that together. Yeah. We said it's sci-fi kind of, fantasy kind of. The fact that there's so much stuffed in there, almost mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. childlike way of somebody who's like, yeah. this is cool, <laughs> this is cool. That to me, I did find appealing. Yeah. Though uh, I do wish that that even took some of those things. Maybe further. if we dedicated ourselves to watching all the subsequent Highlander iterations, we would go, you know, they finally got it right in the 30th version. You know, I don't know if that's true. Only because I was looking at Wikipedia. <laughs> Number two, The Quickening, yeah. supposedly terrible. But with each successive... What about three? They said was a pale remake of the first. Oh, geez. The fourth, they was like almost indescribable. And by the fifth, it literally has only one sentence that said like, the immortals still keep trying to kill each other. Yeah. <laughs> somebody, you think the word like still... Those darn immortals. Same crap. Wow. Uh, Anyone considered for the Sean Connery role? Let me guess, Marlon Brando. There were a few people considered for Ramirez. Nobody of Spanish extraction that I can hmm. see or Egyptian extraction. Lee Van Cleef? Sure. I could see that. It's someone should have like had an old Western accent going into that. <laughs> Clint Eastwood. He's, I'm not wearing peacock feathers. Yeah, that's, Clint has too much dignity, no matter how many zeros you put on the paycheck. <laughs> Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. Gene Hackman. Sure. Michael Caine is the only one that does. Michael Caine and Peter O'Toole. The one movie Michael Caine turned down. <laughs> <laughs> he could pick them. <laughs> Sean Connery's like, I don't feel like doing this. If I say a million dollars, they'll walk away. Yeah. They'll leave me alone. You never have better negotiating <laughs> than when you just cite an insane amount of money and they go, okay. But I do think <laughs> I would have enjoyed Michael Caine or Peter O'Toole in that part. Oh, sure. I mean, if this movie had more scenery chewers, it would have been far yeah. better. When Sean Connery's on screen, you're happy to watch him because he's just twinklingly happy and has a yes. million dollars in his back pocket. <laughs> the female character portrayed by the great named actress B.D. Edney, she literally screams like four times in the scene and it's just used as like a device to cut away to. Yeah. It got me thinking that's such a construct of movies that doesn't happen in real life. Women don't just scream as men fight. That's not a thing. They leave. The female characters in this movie are so pathetically sketched. I mean, even the whole storyline of the metallurgist, detective, whatever she's supposed to be, love interest? Are they in love? Yes. I mean, so then in the end, he's the one. And now the power that the one has, which I don't know if they get into in the movie, but the power that the one now has is to know everything and to be able to enslave humanity. That's the power he's given. Where did you read that? I don't know, Wikipedia or IMDb. That's the power. That's what Kurgan is trying to get. That's why he wants to become the one. The way he says it at the end, and maybe we can play a little bit of the end. He says, like, once the quickening happens and he does Mm -hmm. the the whole thing, uh, I think he's no longer immortal and now can have kids and knows everything. And so that's why he can, like, be happy with this new woman. Yeah, which makes no sense. Can you tell me about the prize? It's like a whirlwind in my head. But if I concentrate, I know what people are thinking all over the world. Presidents, diplomats, scientists. I can help them understand each other. What am I thinking? You're thinking whether or not you can love me. You can. I'm just like you. I can love and have children, live and grow old. You never prepared me for that, you Spanish peacock. Patience, Highlander. You have done well. I guess immortality is... Uh, so you have to kill off all the it. other immortals only to in order to not be immortal. 
I, I guess. Again, this is- I also might have misunderstood it. There was also like I a didn't detail that was, was dropped. I was just watching. I was thinking like, wow, that's like a music video stage that yeah. he's now on. He's just in an empty sound stage with windows, which are going to be blown up. The floor is slickening with man. rain. That's what happens when, you know? when things quicken. There's lightning. He's just going to scream a lot. Your suggestion, by the way. What did I suggest? Back to I, school. I recall. Yeah. I sent Chris an email and I said, hey, how about let's do Rodney Dangerfield's Back to School? I bet you that is a hilarious freaking movie. I haven't seen that since it came out either. Yeah. But I guarantee it's I better than it. Highlander. Eh, depends on what you like. How could it not be great? Harold Ramis is in it. Maybe even directed it. Playing it. Maybe. Yeah. And you said, no, we've done a lot of, I don't even know what you said. But we did do a lot of comedy. Yeah, but people recently. like them. Let's have some fun. It's, I like, thought this was very fun. And like I said, I think things that people will remember and ha- saw on heavy rotation, I think that's where Sorry, our sweet spot. But look at this cast. Rodney Dangerfield, Sally Kellerman, Burt Young, Keith Gordon, Robert Downey Jr., yes. M. Emmett Walsh, Billy Zabka, Ned Beatty, Sam Kinison, Kurt freaking Vonnegut as himself. Yes. And you didn't want that to was do a, it. Why? Well, I said, well, do, we could do it next week. Next week, it's already back to school. The whole point was like, you're doing it when everyone's just in the back to school mind frame. Well, if you had made that argument at the time, I said like, yeah, I guess we well, could do it for thought back of to that school. later. Ah. <laughs> sort of like how Glenn, whatever his name is, Glenn <laughs> Wyden. God bless you, Glenn. I Look, mean, man. Geez. Like I said, you know, an enviable career. Like I said, he's got these two franchises, which... I don't know if you know oh. of the prophecy. Or I saw the first one. No, I haven't. It seen was it. a lot like this in the sense that it's got walking though, right? I kept thinking that it was going to be better than it, oh, but it kind of, kind of didn't. Bullcast and Crew was brought to you by two different guys on a bench, a new comedy series from American Vandal star Ryan O'Flanagan. Two different guys on a bench, where Ryan talks to Ryan on a bench. We keep the comedy simple, folks. Two different guys on a bench videos can be found now on Facebook at Chuckler Comedy. Like and follow Chuckler for the latest and greatest short-form comedy videos. Chuckler, original comedy, delivered daily. Let's move on to Latchkey TV. Yes. Hello? Chris, I decided I was going to give myself an early Christmas present. Not just you, all the listeners. I was going to do the broadcast and cable listings from the week of December 19th to 25th, 1987. That's an early Christmas present because I watched this. I'm a risk reward type person or whatever the term is when you sort of do something and then you reward yourself. So I'm home from school. It's two in the afternoon and I'm going to start by watching pool third annual nine ball championship taped December 86 at Atlantic city, New Jersey, because I love watching anything where people have made poor life choices. And I like watching them play out in front of me with cigarette smoke, probably half-tint glasses, leather blazers, the whole nine yards. And it's also a rerun. (laughs) It's not the championships from 1987. No, it's 1986, correct. (laughs) (laughs) I also love that it's the third annual. Maybe don't tout that so much until you get into like 25. Then at 2.30, there's some new cartoons, Chris, that I haven't heard Uh before. And I wanted you to see if you'd heard of these. Saber Rider and the Star Sheriffs. Are you familiar no, with that? But that Let's look it up. Good. Well, the first thing that comes up is Saber Rider and the Star Sheriff's Game. That must be a spinoff. Oh, this looks like um, Japanimation. Uh, yeah, it looks, it frankly, looks, it looks like the same as the Voltron template. Yeah, you're right. Each of the members of the team has like a different color scheme. Sure. Here comes a little of the intro. Star 
I mean, I love it. You want some more? Uh, yes. Okay. Can you hear the voice? Jeez. It's a nuclear holocaust in a kid's cartoon. <laughs> it's literally a We're talking 86. We True, were on the right. brink. We were on the brink. They're riding mechanical horses from asteroid to asteroid. Yeah. Like, that's pretty, very cool. That's pretty trippy. It's like a Western. I'm totally in. So I'm definitely so psyched that I discovered that. Speaking of bad life choices, that was not one of them. No, that was a great life choice. Then I'm going to watch. It's tough. You know, once you get to three o'clock, that's when the soap operas kick on. Yeah. And for a young man at home, there's really nothing there to interest me. So you kind of have this like dead period here where, you know, like that half hour, we would complain. People don't do this anymore. There's nothing on. Like, that's a legit complaint at 3 o'clock. I'm not watching Santa Barbara, Guiding Light, or General Hospital. It's like you have to go outside and play or something. I'm not watching Body Electric, an exercise show. Wink, <laughs> wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> Wild America, that's kind of like a wildlife show. Eh. Brave Star? What's Brave Star? Let's see if that was similar. Uh, <laughs> uh, Brave I, Star actually looks a lot like... <laughs> I guess the horses aren't quite as mechanical, but it's a sci-fi western cartoon. Let's see. Brave Star. It looks like a Native American theme. Yeah. The sheriff, the main guy, the lead, looks like a person of color. Hmm. That's great. In a distant time and faraway place, the planet of New Texas floats deep in space. Uh, it sounds like Warren Beatty rapping in that political in movie. Lord? Yeah. And one day a lawman appeared. Dude, this is a great vehicle for a great Native American actor right yeah. now. Take back the Brave Star character. I did, did you all see his friggin' horse turns into yeah. a horse person? There's a comment on the YouTube that says, A magical Native American sheriff with four totem animal powers with a transforming gun, toting horse sidekick fighting freaks and monsters in the distant future in space? Why can't we have awesome things like this anymore? <laughs> Brave Star, great. Yeah, great property. Cool. Great intellectual property. Let's pitch that. All right, so see, I'm going to have discovered this because I had no idea what it was. Yeah. Then at 4 p.m., I'm going to check this out just because I've got the TV guide at home. And even at this age, I'm sort of being like, well, I have to see what the hell this is. <laughs> uh, the this is like a cartoon, which I never heard of, called Tiny Tree. It's an hour-long cartoon. A story of love and loyalty in which a crippled girl befriends a tiny pine tree oh, and its man. animal companions. That's Touched sweet. by her kindness, the creatures come up with a plan to ensure that the girl has a happy Christmas. Roberta Flack performs the songs. Sounds nice. Sounds nice, right? Sounds nice, especially so that's in, like, this, in this holiday season. Yeah, and the holiday season that I'm giving myself. <laughs> that you're giving your so I'll probably watch two minutes of that before my cynical nature <laughs> takes over. And then I switch over to 321 Contact, which you know I'm so yes. into. And I don't recall if I should have a resentment over the 321 Contact theme being cut out when I previously mentioned it, or maybe it was just because I mentioned it all the time and it would just be redundant to continue playing it every time I mentioned it. That's probably it. I'm positive I put it in once. Well, just in case you haven't. Um, okay, that. then 
<laughs> then at 4.30, you got to check out every once in a while, Chris, you got to check out what the Christian right is doing. Yeah. Right? Just keep an eye on them. Mm -hmm. So city that forgot about Christmas. Mm -hmm. Religion that forgot about pronouns. Uh it's not the city. I know that's not a, what's the. It's not a pronoun, but it's a definite article. It's a definite article. Well, their title definite is just article. Yeah, city that forgot about Christmas. This animated Lutheran television production. Oh boy, I believe that the guy <laughs> writing this copy had a little. That's a little bit of a shade there, don't you think? Yeah, he's is it like letting like, you know. Just so you know, this is just it's so animated, you know. but it's he could have said this animated story tells of a visitor who changes yeah. the lives of children in a loveless city. Songs include Chris, you can't stop Christmas. Oh yeah, <laughs> just watch me. Just watch me. Then at five p.m., it's hard not to watch Mash, in which Potter announces a Soldier of the Month contest. But win, loser, or draw has one of those great 1987 lineups. Yeah, Burt Reynolds, Dom DeLuise, Lynn Redgrave, and Jack A. I don't know. If Burt Reynolds, it's good. just going to be 30 minutes of them laughing at each other. Uh, then I'm going to flip over from Win, Loser, Draw because basically you're right. Five minutes of watching <laughs> Burt and Dom laugh at each other. Just everybody else are like, everyone's sort of like, oh, God, well, these guys lighten up. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go over to Quincy because an outbreak of anthrax can be prevented only if a large sum of stolen contaminated money is recovered. Ooh. I love that. I love stolen contaminated money. That's like Greystoke. Tarzan, <laughs> Legend Lord of the Apes. Yeah. Then I'm going to go ahead to, on Channel 11, New Hampshire Musically. 60 minutes about New Hampshire brought to life through music. Songs of the season performed by the Monadnock Chorus and Orchestra. Uh, but songs about New Hampshire? New Hampshire, yeah, all about New Hampshire. I'm, I can't even think of, like, what... Um, How to bring New Hampshire to life city? via song? <laughs> it's a state, Chris. No, it's a, it's a sorry, state. Is there a city in New Hampshire? Well, sure. Which? Mm. You can't do it either. Uh, I can't for the life of me think of a single <laughs> municipality in the state of New Hampshire. Uh, how about Concord? Concord, Manchester, Manchester. Portsmouth, Nashua. Nashua, I've heard of that. Yeah. New Hampshire's kind of the forgotten part of New England. Maybe because it's not part of New England. <laughs> Is it? Why Is it part it of New be? England? It's in the North. Yeah, it's in New England. Say, but like Vermont, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Because it's right up next to Maine. It's like the buffer between New England and Maine. Yeah, and it's and like, Maine. yeah. Is it after Maine or before Maine? It's before I Maine. I guess it depends on which direction you're going <laughs> or coming from. Don't be a wise ass. <laughs> anyway, Chris, I'm going to move it along here to 10 p.m. Because now is, you're going to watch the aerobics. All of, <laughs> all of life is contained here in these two listings. <laughs> at the same time, they're not at the same time. Dynasty, which has the longest description, matched only by the following description of the next show. Dynasty, in a fear over the incriminating, quote-unquote, bordello video, Ooh. Blake vows to combat Alexis's smear campaign by proving the tape was a fake. Meanwhile, Stephen confronts Sammy Joe about Josh and then has a run-in with the star quarterback. Adam and Fallon call a truce for the sake of business. A bond of friendship builds between Fallon and Dax. And Sean does some double D-ling behind Alexis's back. Sorry, you lost me at Bordello. Also at the same time, Die Fledermaus. Is Ooh, on. the opera. It's a ballet. The ballet. It's an operetta. Well, <laughs> Johann Strauss. Basically, Dynasty was Die Fledermaus brought to life brought to in, a, in a new, in a new realm. Just updated clothing. The story turns on a practical joke played by the devil maker, Dr. Falk. On his philandering friend, Von Eisenstein, Dr. Falk gives a masked ball at which he tricks his pal into falling for a mysterious countess. It's essentially the same thing. I didn't hear any mention of a bordello, but that's... Well, it's unspoken. Anyway, there you have it, Chris. That's Latchkey TV. That's fantastic. This day in history. Well... In a couple months. In a couple months. Hey,
Ghost. Did you hear about the movie The Reliant? No. Kevin Sorbo, uh, who people might remember. Isn't he a right-wing crackpot now? Yes, well, yes right-wing faith-based crackpot uh, is in this sort of uh, suspense thriller, post-apocalyptic thing. The apocalypse, of course, is that guns have been taken away. Uh. Uh, and so Antifa <laughs> is menacing all of these white people. And the trailer went up today and I, I watched it and it does look this terrifying. This is the awful tragedy of, of what would happen in the world if guns were taken away? Yes. What's it like out there? It's chaos. Lock up the weapons in the safe now. Run! Your little family dream of three meals a day and kids and bedtime prayers, it's over. Hey! God has forsaken us. Who is responsible for it? Huh? Who's responsible? You know who? Our city is one of the few places that's successfully resisting tyranny and disarmament. God is good. He is what is good in this broken world, and He is loving, even when we don't understand it. If we trust Him, everything will be just fine. Yeah, just. Trust in God. And have guns. I, I, I never quite understood the, the link between the two. But there must be one because people seem into it. Turn uh, the other cheek so I can put a bullet through it. <laughs> Didn't Jesus yeah, say that? It's easier to hit. We're going to lose a lot of our faith-based followers now. It's a risk I'm willing to take. Any other headlines you got, Chris? That's it. Okay, I got a good one for you. I, I saw this one and I was just like, oh my God. Teenage boy goes blind after existing on Pringles, white bread, and french fries. Scientists from the University of Bristol examined the case of a young patient whose extremely picky eating led to blindness and have warned of the dangers of a poor diet. Let me tell you guys, this is what he told his mom was the cause of his blindness. We all know it has nothing to do with white bread and french fries. He wasn't taking any medication, had a normal BMI and height, and showed no visible signs of malnutrition. Or whatever that word was. Malnutrition? Yeah. I laughed at that story, which shows you the type of person I am. I, was just, I mean, I hope he's okay. I hope he gets his sight back. Yes. And I hope he uh, starts eating some salad. Did you hear the story of the loud boom reported across central New York that was probably a fireball entering the Earth's atmosphere? No. I love this story because the way that the authorities assuaged the concerns of people living in central New York who were terrified and reported to the authorities a loud, fearful boom on Monday night. Fearful was a word used. Yeah. The authorities said, it's nothing to worry about, folks. It was likely just a fiery rock from the far-flung reaches of outer space. Don't you feel better now? I mean, I suppose... Like, that's not how to assuage the villagers when we're upset about something. Yeah. It's also the fact that they say, like, it's likely this. I mean, I'm not going to check or run it down or anything, but I think that's probably <laughs> yeah. what it is. Speaking of the religious right, I don't know that we have a lot of religious right fans. I think, I know there was one I like guy. Saying, I know we I, really personally, I'm a spiritual person. I believe in higher power. I don't know about you. I don't. Oh, are you one of those like Bill Maher type atheists who have no, to tell no, everyone all about it all the time? <laughs> I mean, the fact that, you know, we've that I didn't know about years. it <laughs> <laughs> hasn't come up yet. Well, anyway, Chris, a Catholic school has removed Harry Potter from its shelves. 
And while book banning happens all the time in this country, sure. this is not a real news story. But the reasons were quite brilliant. The Reverend Dan Rehill, pastor of St. Edward Catholic School, sent an email to school staff explaining his reasoning for removing the books. Quote, the curses and spells used in the books are actual curses and spells, which when read by a human being risk conjuring evil spirits into the presence of the person reading the texts. Now, Chris. I am about 2% away from concluding all seven books in the Harry Potter series with my daughter. We've been reading it yeah, together yeah, yeah. for two years. We have not conjured any evil spirits into our presence as far oh, as Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Rehill goes on to say he consulted with exorcists before making the decision. So who's really consulting with the evil spirits here? It's not us reading Harry Potter about Hermione and Ron. Yeah. You know? Exorcists, they work with evil spirits every day. Yeah, they're in touch That's with their them. bread and butter. Like they got to have a line of communication to exactly. the other yes. side, right? Yes. Otherwise, they can't well, do their job. First of all, I'm sure J.K. Rowling is a wonderful writer. I don't know that she did that much research. <laughs> But, you know, that same story, you know, they, people complain about it all the time. The whole thing about not saying Macbeth in a theater. Sure. That's because supposedly some of the incantations in the play are supposed to be real. Same sort of nonsense. Finally, did you see the thermal detonator Coke bottle TSA ban story? No. I don't know if you know this, but there are novelty Coca-Cola bottles resembling a Star Wars thermal detonator, oh. which do look, I'm showing you a picture, they yeah, look yeah. a little bit like a hand grenade sponsored by Coca-Cola. Yeah. Fans were excited to bring them home from the Star Wars attraction. But of course, those joy kills at the yeah. TSA said, hey, grenade-shaped collectibles are on the no-fly list, guys. Yeah, well, also liquids, right? I mean, Yeah, but it doesn't look like many ounces in that thing. The TSA spokesperson said, the issue concerning Star Wars Galaxy's Edge-themed soda bottles has recently been brought to our attention by the general public. We have completed our review and instructed our officers to treat these as an oversized liquid. Because these bottles contain liquids larger than 3.4 ounces, they should be put in checked baggage or emptied to be brought on as a carry-on item. Thanks, TSA. Freaking killed you. I love Make us actually drink that Coke. This is one of the examples of why, like, here in the United States, we're so backwards. Because you read that and you think, why does the TSA make such an arbitrary line in the sand of 3.4 ounces, right? Turns out that's 100 milliliters. So it makes more sense as milliliters than ounces, I see. right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you'd be like, can we make it three or four? <laughs> 3.4? So I can't bring my 3.2 tube of hair cream on? No, well, 3.2, that's below 3.4. Oh, you're right. So, so you're okay. okay. I don't want to make fun of so your math. Fact, you can. This does bring to mind a similar headline from 2016 where the TSA put out an announcement reminding passengers no Batarang or other superhero weapons on flights because mm. people were bringing homemade homemade um, Batarang to go to Comic Cons and stuff. Just, to just like, in general. Yeah, but <laughs> these are specifically the ones like from the movies where the Batarangs are sharpened, yeah. like throwing stars. Sure. It's one of those things like, I shouldn't have to say this, but uh, no bladed weapons, <laughs> even if they are bat-themed. In Chicago over the weekend, a woman brought Flirty, her mini service Whoa. horse, and purchased a seat. And the horse would have been seated next to you uh, on your flight from Chicago to wherever she was going. And here are the pilots who presumably have like pre-flight checklists and better things to do, <laughs> posing for photos with Flirty. Well, listen, Flirty's a yeah, flirt. Flirty is a psych and mobility service horse. Its owner suffers from a variety of ailments, including depression, severe anxiety, panic disorder, and PTSD. Oh, but did she get the horse on the plane, right? She did get the horse yeah. on the plane, but so. she said, you know what? It was fun. I, it was a lot of positive. However, she's not going to do it again because Flirty could not 
contain herself. <laughs> Keep from her bump- hooves off. She couldn't. Violence. No, she couldn't contain herself from bumping into the seat in front of her. Yes, and so she was aware. Which probably like exacerbated her severe anxiety, panic disorder, and PTSD. Yeah. If you have to worry about exactly. your, so she feels like okay, yeah, not like doing that. This again. actually isn't. This is like kind of counter to what I'm supposed. This horse is supposed to be bringing me down. Except now I'm really anxious. Yeah, and I'm on a plane. And how the hell is this thing in the air? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got That's for you, Chris. Those are my headlines for the day. Well, uh, do you have any rants or raves? No, because I folded them into the headlines. My only rave, uh, I went skydiving last week. Oh, and right. it was oh, yeah. awesome. The, uh, so I think wait, everybody should do it. Wait a minute. I think it's great. I, I saw you post this and I was sort of, actually, I said out loud, I said, oh, no. <laughs> I did. Because oh, no, why? It, it just seemed to me like, what are you doing going skydiving? Why? Living life to the fullest. It was fun. The reason why, part of the reason why. No, I went, you didn't go skydiving, Chris. You yes, went, you went strapping myself to another dude and jumping out of a plane. Well, that's, that's what you did. You didn't yes. skydive. That's skydiving. No, that's, that's skydiving. Strapping yourself <laughs> to a dude no, and jumping no, out of a plane. Strapping himself to me, uh, and I didn't so much jump as roll. Uh, I thought it was super fun. How many times do you have to do it before you can jump yourself? I don't know. But I'm going to do it at least one more time. Really? Yeah. How many feet up in the air were you? 15,000. Jesus. And it was super fun. Uh, for Christmas, my mother was thinking like, what should I do for your brother and your one of my sisters? And I suggested you should give him skydiving lessons. Mm. And they both opened up Christmas. They're like, what the fuck is it? Why? Neither of them had any desire yeah. to do it. And actually, we're not looking forward to it. So that when it actually came up that they were going to go, I was like, I really should go. Since I got them into that mess to begin with, and uh, I loved it. You know what I'm? You know what it makes me think of? Possible replacement hosts for when your shoot fails to open. Be ready. Be ready. You got to have contingencies for this. Oh boy. Well, can we? No, can we so stop like, now? Do you have no? No, more? no. Right. I've had nothing then for an hour. Is, don't kid yourself. Nothing for two hours. Uh, <laughs> until next week, gang. You don't have to be immortal to have McLeod's expansiveness of wisdom and heart. And so, I know you'll come and carry me out into the palace of winds. That's all I've wanted, to walk in such a place with you, with friends, an earth without maps. The lamb's gone out, I'm writing in the darkness. Thank you for listening to this episode of Full Cast and Crew. I hope you enjoyed it. If so, drop us a line. You can email us at fullcastandcrewpod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at at fullcastandcrew or on Instagram at fullcastandcrew or, of course, find the podcast on Facebook. And if you really, really enjoyed it, take a screenshot of your favorite episode on your podcast player and forward it to a friend so they can subscribe and figure out what you're always laughing about. And if you didn't enjoy it, I don't know, drop us a line anyway. I can take it.